0: I think it really breaks down and they had they had seen the exact same fragmentation issue. How we're trying to bridge this gap, potentially a, a little bit of a chilling effect. Yeah, and always easier to do this after the fact. This upgrade will be a huge boom.
1: What's up, CryptoFarm? Welcome to Cointelegraph's Hashing It Out. I'm your host, Elisha, and you can find me on Twitter at GHCryptoGuy. On this show, we will talk about crypto and everything Web3 with upcoming talent and leaders in the space. We will be taking you on a ride around the crypto block, answering questions and highlighting the next big innovations in the space. Before we dive in, remember to follow us on whatever platform you are tuning in from so you don't miss another episode. And if you want more crypto news as it happens, check out cointelegraph.com. It's time to hash it out. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Hashing It Out by Cointelegraph with myself, GH Crypto Guy. And today, I'm with Matt from Alluvial. We're going to be talking about the company that is building an enterprise-grade liquid staking standard. And we're going to be discussing what all of this means, because I can understand if some of you are not sure what enterprise-grade is all about or liquid staking standard means. We're going to discuss all of that in this particular episode. Hello, Matt, and welcome.
0: Hi, Alicia. Thanks for having me on the cast today. Really excited to talk with you today.
1: Awesome. So Matt Leisinger is the co-founder and chief product officer of Alluvial. And I'm going to let Matt introduce himself and talk about his journey to the crypto space. Matt, how did you get into crypto and how did you end up founding
0: this company? Yeah, it was a kind of a long journey. And so basically started... Uh, my career as an engineer and spent about 10, 12 years, actually on the more of the TradFi side. So building high frequency trading systems, worked for a number of trading firms uh, in the Chicago area, um, really enjoyed that work. But um, I think what I saw in around 2016, we had a trading desk uh, that started trading for crypto. And, and with that, had a bit of a you know first foray into to Ethereum and what was possible. But it wasn't until I read the white paper on or a white paper on AMMs where I really started to dig deep. You know, I looked, it was amazing to kind of see this you know, shift transformation, what was possible with DeFi. And so it wasn't until much later, though, that I actually acted on that. And so 2020 looked at joining Figment. I actually knew one of the co founders there, Andy Crunt, uh, from our days back at Motorola a long time ago, when dating myself a bit. But with that, came on to Figment to actually build out a, product, a set of products on top of their core staking business. And so I looked at a number of different products from building a fund with staking rewards to market-neutral products where you can extract a staking reward specifically without any price exposure. All the options that I evaluated had a similar theme. How can I effectively manage the unbonding time with staking? Because when you stake, you lock your tokens in the blockchain. And so you've got to manage this period in which when you want to unstake, when you get your tokens back. And so liquid staking really seemed to solve this problem. Um, And for those that don't know, liquid staking allows you to stake your tokens in the blockchain and mint a receipt token that represents your staked assets. So this allows you to maintain your liquidity while you earn rewards and secure the network. And the issue is really that a lot of figments, institutional customers, at the time, weren't using any existing liquid staking solutions. They saw a ton of counterparty risk in kind of the, the setup, the validator set. It wasn't to a level of compliance and security that Figment offered. But that's what a lot of those customers wanted. And so what we did is we started to build this out for an enterprise-grade version of a liquid staking protocol, We teamed up with Kiln, whose CTO, Nicholas Maurice at the time, started working on this effort and we built out a product. We got it to test that in about two months. So in March of last year. And so that was a great accomplishment. But in the back of my head, I thought if everyone else is seeing this same opportunity, that there's kind of this spot in the, for an enterprise grade solution, we're probably going to see a lot of solutions come to market. And with that, a ton of fragmentation at the same time, Andrew Crunk, I uh, mentioned one of the co-founders of Pigment, gave me a book. It was one for many. And it's about D. Ha and how he saw the credit card industry fragmenting in the 70s. And so he formed a consortium of banks that eventually became Visa. They were solving this same problem. It's an amazing read and actually hits on a lot of the aspects of DAOs before DAOs were even a bank. At the same time, I just wanted to get this product to launch and validate it with a few customers. So we kind of took this idea of building a consortium potentially and put that on the shell. Well, yeah, obviously with how these things come together, uh, Coinbase approached us and they had, they had seen the exact same fragmentation issue um, and they were looking at solving it in a similar way. And so what we decided to do was ask competitors, join forces to build out Alluvial to support a protocol, the development of a enterprise-grade protocol. And so we formed Alluvial to, to do just that and support Liquid Collective, uh, the enterprise-grade protocol. And so we've taken this collaborative approach and we really want to empower global participation in securing the decentralized internet. And we want to work with the industry's largest participants to be able to do that. And we've brought together, we've got about 20, different teams now supporting Liquid Collective. Um, Kind of an amazing feat considering where we were about a year ago.
1: Sounds interesting. I think you've kind of explained part of what my next question is, but just in simple terms, what does it mean to build um, an enterprise-grade
0: liquid staking standard? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. So I think it really breaks down into a few different areas, but first to kind of like touch on the need, right? So I think that we're seeing institutional adoption is absolutely on the rise. 74% of surveyed institutions are planning to buy digital assets in the future. And so with that, we want to get them involved with staking, and we believe liquid staking is the best form of staking. But with that, there are a few hurdles. Compliance is one. So one of the things is KYC, AML checks on all users and protocol operators in the protocol, and really... You know, we we want to do this because we want to comply with a lot of the applicable laws to ensure that we're meeting the needs of a lot of mature businesses that want to use liquid staking but can't. We're also designing for transparency, and with that, we've got a few things that we do. Uh, we have an LSE user agreement. LSE is our our token. LSE represents your staked assets, and with that, a user agreement is encoded in the token, and it explains the beneficiary rights of the token holder, um, something that's new. And so another piece is really counterparty risk. And we really solved this by working at first with enterprise-grade node operators in the space in Figment, Coinbase Cloud, and Staked. But we're also going to be establishing performance and operating standards for validators so that we can expand this set while maintaining enterprise level of operational excellence. So with this, institutions are able to participate because we're meeting a lot of these security and compliance requirements, so they're able to maintain their liquidity while participating in the security of the network. And this is how we get some of the stake that's sitting on the sidelines. 84% of the ETH is not being staked right now. We get that actively participating in the network, which is really our goal, enabling that, that participation. I think one of the things that is popping up in the crypto
1: space recently is the conversation about institutional staking. I think for far so long, one of the biggest conversations was institutional investment. And institutional staking can be a subset of institutional investment, basically because it's still spending money on crypto, and but this time like keeping it for a longer period. Do you think there's a gap in the market for institutional staking? And do you think there's a need for enterprise-grade compliance to make something that isn't an issue moving
0: forward to basically close the gap? Absolutely. I think you're hitting on something that, uh, you know, we see is there's kind of this two customer segments that play out in my mind. There's more crypto native folks who are comfortable in using DeFi and, you know, they're able to utilize a lot of the things that a mature business cannot. And so we kind of have this, you know, there's like the chasm between uh, the early adopters and the early majority. And I think that's, you know, obviously like some of the more progressive institutions that want to use staking are in that early majority. But in order to usher that in, there's a few things that we have to do. And that's why we're working with, we have a role in the protocol called integrators. And so, for instance, we're working with Coinbase and Bitcoin Suisse to onboard this set of integrators who require a qualified custodian to custody their assets. And so with this, we're able to offer them something that basically we're meeting them where they are. Uh, Today, they have these qualified custodians, and we have deep integrations into these platforms. For instance, on Coinbase Prime, I'm super happy to have their support. We're the default staking solution, and we have very easy access patterns where an institution can very easily, um, within a few clicks, be staking to the Liquid Collective all from the comfort of their qualified custodial account. Um, so this is just one of the examples of kind of how we're trying to bridge this gap and usher in those, that early majority institutional customers. Sounds interesting. Before we go on, let me pick your thoughts on the
1: latest regulatory situation in the USA with like big companies like Akron being asked to stop their staking services and Coinbase saying they're willing to go to courts and battle the SEC when it comes to the issue of staking and with that platforms like Coinbase and Cochrane can provide such services. What do you think is going to happen moving forward when it comes to staking, not just in the USA, but in terms of like how countries are likely to regulate staking?
0: It's a great question and super relevant. I feel like every week we have more news on the regulatory front. And I think regulatory clarity, I'm actually glad that kind of like almost being pushed into conversations and having these conversations because we really want regulatory clarity. But staking is crucial for proof-of-stake blockchains. And what we're seeing is there's primarily two types of staking that we see, direct staking and actively managed staking. They each have implications uh, from a regulatory perspective, especially as it relates to token ownership, security, and transparency. If we look at Liquid Collective, there's a non-custodial direct staking design. Users are able to maintain their beneficial ownership over their stake as they transact with the protocol. The rewards are very transparent. They can be derived on chain. And so one of the elements that we use in the design of the protocol is to ensure that we're bringing forward a lot of the aspects of the Ethereum blockchain. Whereas actively managed solutions generally involve like an omnibus structure where funds are pooled together and then staked Um, And this really reduces the transparency. Also, the provider has a fair amount of discretion on when to stake and when to provide potentially excess liquidity reserve. And so really what this means is we're really well positioned on the staking front as we design this with regulation in mind. So as this news has come out, it's really validated. Um, some of the design choices we made a year ago. I would also say that, you know, the industry as a whole is moving toward the non-custodial direct stake model. And really, we want to promote the best practices and foster the proof-of-stake ecosystem in uh, supporting this mode staking. I'd also say that, you know, we're working heavily with the proof-of-stake alliance. And so we helped with the drafting of a few white papers, one on the taxation of liquid staking, and another on the regulatory stances in regard to liquid staking. Um, so we're happy to work with that group, and really we want to encourage the growth of proof of stake protocols, you know, within the U.S. but really everywhere.
1: Interesting. Do you think, since we just discussed institutional staking before we got to the regulatory conversation, do you think the growth we've seen in institutions being interested in staking is likely to slow down because of the lack of regulatory clarity because we've seen something similar happen with investors like regular investors, institutional investors where for so long a lot of investors were not getting into the crypto space Um, even ETFs took a long time even with Bitcoin futures ETFs and now we are having a similar issue with Bitcoin spot ETFs are we going to lose out on huge sums of money or should I say like very good investments from institutions who are looking to enter the staking
0: ecosystem. Yeah, there's no doubt that these types of things, with all the press that they get, can have a you know a chilling effect on the institutional market. But I think what we're seeing is there's also milestones that are being hit by some of the proof of stake blockchains. For instance, on Ethereum, uh, we just saw the Shutella upgrade come in, and what Shutella does is basically combines the changes of the execution layer and consensus layer and basically allows you to withdraw your staked assets. And so with this, I think this is going to de-risk participation in staking because you're able to actually withdraw your assets. A lot of funds have mandates where an indefinite lockup of funds by a protocol is just not something that they're going to get comfortable with. So now I think we're actually going to see. So you've got kind of like the regulatory potentially a little bit of a chilling effect. But then you've also got this piece that really we've been waiting for in the Chappella feature upgrade that we just saw uh, happen last week. So with that, we're going to, I think, going to see a ton of increased demand. And I would say specifically for liquid staking tokens, and I'll tell you why really quick, you've got exit and activation queues as you stake. So there's actually this variable called the churn limit that governs how many validators can be entered or exited per per epoch that's set to eight right now. So that really means that only 1,800 validators a day can get into the active set. And so with that, you can imagine that these queues may grow. Uh, we saw that last week, and I think the, the queue last time I checked was around two weeks to exit your validator. And so with that, I think what we're going to see is liquid staking actually has even greater utility because... You can just hold your token and exit your position whenever you like rather than being bound to these annual maxi queues. And so I think with this, you know, while you know, the market will evolve. I think this upgrade will be a huge boom for participation in not only staking, but really liquid staking.
1: Okay. So let's come back to Aluvia and discuss your Products. What is the difference between direct staking with the liquid collective and the omnibus, or should I say, pooled staking design of other projects? And like, how should consumers assess the different options when deciding what to choose?
0: Yeah. And we touched on this just a bit earlier. Um, And I think the key difference is really there are a few angles to look at this. But direct staking is where you are, as a user, able to deposit directly into the deposit contract of Ethereum. And with that, you have transparency along the entire path or flow of funds. And so you're able to essentially assess where your funds are going at all times. In the actively managed Solutions. There's more of an omnibus structure where again funds are pooled together, so you really lose this transparency that's very important. And so I think I mentioned this earlier, but the mm-hmm. industry is increasingly moving away from these actively managed solutions to direct staking designs, and we absolutely support this movement. And just as an example, Liquid Collective is using a non-custodial direct staking design. Sounds interesting. Okay, so let's talk about
1: LSE. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but I'm assuming that's how it's pronounced, correct?
0: That's right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, what's that for someone who doesn't know? Because people know E, but what's LSE? And then, what is the user agreement? What does it entail? And why do participants need to understand their rights as people who are participating in liquid staking?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, LSE is a liquid staking token. And so the flow is essentially when you mint, or sorry, when you deposit your ETH, it's staked through to the validators in Liquid Collective's active set, and we mint LSE. So LSE represents your legal and beneficial ownership over the staked assets. And what we've done is we have actually taken that a step further. We've encoded in the metadata of the LSE token a user agreement or pointer to an on-chain user agreement um, and what this is, is it's a legal document that outlines the terms and conditions for using with the collector and holding LSD. It includes specifications around the tokens, ownerships, fees, and risks. Really, crux of it, it informs the users about their rights and risks associated with LSD. And so what this does, it really ensures transparency. We're able to make users aware of the, regardless of the holder, it's always there in the metadata. They're aware of the protocol service fees. We have slashing coverage that has multiple layers and other important aspects so that the user can make informed decisions around staking and, and the risks that they're taking. So what this does is really protects the token holder and really prevents any misunderstandings and disputes because we're providing a clear kind of terms and conditions to the user. And so this is for compliance perspective (laughs) <laughs> allows a lot of mature businesses who really want to see these things and have them be transparent, you know, really you know, allows them to utilize a liquid staking protocol where otherwise they may not be able to.
1: Interesting. Let's talk about the Shanghai upgrade and how it's likely to impact staking. The upgrade has happened. I think people anticipated that we're going to see a lot of sell offs, like people redrawing and then selling off. We have seen some of it. And Ethereum did reach $2,000 at a point, even though people were selling off. In your opinion, what would the upgrade do to staking moving forward? I think like it's a bit different to talk about this now because we are looking at it post the update because it would have been easier to like have a discussion of what would happen after the update. But in the long run, are we going to see more withdrawals or do you think this is going to like increase investor confidence in staking long term?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. So yeah, always (laughs) easier to do this after the fact. But I think even with some of the predictions of like a a sell-off or not having sell-off, I think for most or what I was really looking at was what does the participation in staking look like? So for example, right away, we saw the, I mentioned earlier, saw the execute grow pretty significantly. And then it kind of like has hit a steady state around two weeks but with that, I think there's a good reason for that. It's You've had this lockup for a couple of years, and really you had a lot of folks that probably either didn't want to participate in staking or wanted to just take some of their staking position off. And so I think there's a good reason for that. What I thought was really interesting is actually the demand on the activation side. We're now seeing net inflows to the deposit contract, uh, which means that even... Kind of net everyone that wants to withdraw. There's actually more interest in depositing into the staking contract and more participation in staking. And this is what I think. If you would have asked a, a you know a number of folks in the community even uh, a week ago, that this is what we would see because what the Chapella upgrade is, it significantly de-risks participation and the opportunity costs in staking. I think we could see you know upwards of potentially thirty uh, percent being staked potentially even higher. So I think this is going to be actually a huge impetus uh, for staking participation. And that's why we're extremely excited to have this upgrade uh, come through. And we're hearing from a lot of potential customers that uh, this is something that is a large unlock for them. And so Liquid Collective is obviously gonna we're working through our withdrawals implementation right now. We're gonna be supporting that soon. So we're really excited about the shell upgrade and what it's going to mean for the ecosystem.
1: Okay, good. Let's talk about another thing that some people look into when they're deciding where to stick, which is decentralization. Um, Currently, how many nodes are operating your network or are running your
0: network? Right now, so we have, uh, as far as node operators, we have three uh, node operators. Okay, what's the plan to make sure that you have more so that the operation is a bit more
1: decentralized?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's a really good question. So first, I guess I would just say that decentralization, there are a lot of different parameters. And right now, we're kind of at the start of what this looks like. And some of the parameters are obviously the number of node operators in your set, but there are a number of other things that you should look at when you kind of look at a a protocol's decentralization score. Really, it's, you know, are they running a multi-client architecture, multi-region, multi-cloud setup? And I think that all of our node operators absolutely check all of those boxes. And so, as I said before, we're really looking to meet or hit the bar from this enterprise grade standard, so that we can meet our customers' needs. But what we want to do is actually define validator performance standards that we're going to be publishing and open sourcing to enable other node operators to join the set while maintaining uh, this enterprise level. And so, I guess I'll just end with, you know, we're at the start, but we absolutely have a path to maintain quality while introducing other validators in the set. Sounds interesting.
1: Let's talk about the future of staking and what the ecosystem is likely to look like in the next five years. Where do you think this ecosystem is going and what, what predictions would you make for the next five years?
0: I think first, I, I would hope that we've at least come a little closer to achieving our, our goal of having global participation in securing the decentralized internet. I think mean, there's a lot of different ways it can play out. But one way might be that, you know, liquid staking will probably become, in my mind, the preferred way to stake. And with that, I think that we're going to see it recede into the background. Um, and what I mean by that is we're really building a primitive that others can build on top of Because what liquid staking does is it kind of changes. It's uh, a paradigm shift it decouples the security layer from a liquidity layer and allows builders to start building on top of that. In fact, we're already kind of seeing some interest in doing that, uh, both on the centralized and decentralized sides. I think uh, it's a part of this. You know, there will be a number of products that will be built on top of with staking. I think with Eigenlayer, we're seeing this too, where essentially you'll see a number of products that are built and basically the end user staker will not necessarily know that they're even staking. And so... One of the areas that, you know, I think we'll focus on over the next year is starting to help enable those builders to start building on top of the uh, liquid collecting. And so, yeah, I think in five years time, my hope is that we've made it extremely easy to use staking.
1: Looking forward to that. And um, hopefully my grandma and grandpa can all dig easily in the next five years, all or- Thank you so much for being on the show with me, Matt. I um, really appreciate it and look forward to speaking to you again um, in the next five years to see how far Alouya has come in staking.
0: Thanks, Alicia. I've really enjoyed the chat today.
1: Thanks, and thanks to everyone who listened in. I'll see you in the next episode. All good things must come to an end, and so does our show. You've been listening to Hashing It Out by Cointelegraph where we talk about crypto and everything Web3. I'm your host, Elisha, at GH Crypto Guy on Twitter. And if you liked this episode, please make sure to subscribe and leave a review. Please do this. It will really help us out. I need to get out of my mom's basement. Don't get me fired. Subscribe wherever you're listening to us. Leave a review and have a great day. Thank you.